Hello and welcome to the Killjourn podcast. I'm Lee Coddy. Thank you for joining us. This week, I'm joined by my fifth favourite Killjourn area sales manager, Tim Bloomer. Hello, Tim. How are you? Hello, Luke. It's nice to hear that I've gone up in your estimation. <laughs> I'm a little bit worried about prodding you so much because you are lovely, but I have, I'm worried that you'll expose me for the pest control charlatan that I am if I wind you up a bit too much. Just be wary, wary of Christmas, Luke. Wary of Christmas. <laughs> Tim has been in the industry in various forms for 24 years. During his service, interesting and amusing situations have sometimes thrown themselves up. With Tim's help over the next few episodes, we will embrace the mantra, always expect the unexpected, with these insect-related anecdotes. So Tim, what insect features prominently this week? Uh, this, this week we're going to talk about the Indian meal moth, um, which is a, a store product pest. Um, so breeding in things, store commodities, food products, that sort of thing. Wonderful. Zooming out a little bit, what interests you about insects then? I think it's, it, you know, there's two sides to this industry, really. One is rodents, and rodents, whilst they throw up some, some interesting and challenging situations occasionally, occasionally they are, they are sort of very predictable in their habits as a rule. Whereas the insect side, um, very varied, you know, different insects throw up different situations. And it's really that detective part or that detective piece where you have to sort of understand the technical knowledge, what, what pest you're dealing with, where it's likely to breed to be breeding, and then um, sourcing that breeding site, investigating, etc. So before we start, what do we need to know specifically about insect identification then? Well, the key to any insect control really is making sure you identify correctly which species you're dealing with. And that's because many, many insects have specific requirements for the breeding site for their larvae. And it's the larval stage that's the key to this. It's the larval stage that needs that food source. And without that identification, without understanding where they're breeding, then you're never gonna get control of that situation. We can throw as much pesticide at insects as we want, but unless we know where the breeding site is, we deal with that part of the, the situation remove that breeding site you're always going to get reinfestation so that's that's where it starts is really you know good technical knowledge good solid technical knowledge understanding what you're dealing with and then linking that through to that breeding site so you let the cow out of the bag and let us know this story is going to be about the indian meal moth um yes. how would one go about correctly identifying that insect well indian meal moth is what i say is one of several uh, different moths that infest food so the key identifying features um, we'll come to shortly, but the first recommendation we always make to people, if you've got any doubt whatsoever, then always, always get samples into our entomologist for a correct ID. Off the back of that, you don't really get an idea of what the insect is. We'll also give you hints and tips on where it's likely to be breeding, how to deal with it, etc. Now, of course, that does take a few days. Uh, you know, it's got to come to us in the post. Jonathan's got to take a look at it but get that report typed up and back to you. And sometimes customers need a quicker response. So let's, let's sort of talk through a few of the key features that might actually help with identifying Indian meal moth. Um, in line with all moths, they display complete metamorphosis. So that's four clear life stages. And that's the egg, the larva, the pupa, and the adult. And the key thing here is that the larval stage is very, very different to the adult stage. So there's that transformation during the pupil stage from larvae into the adult. 
Now, the adult moth itself is approximately 16 million lengths. Clearly, size isn't always a, a correct way to identify because it's not an exact science. Um, the biggest single feature that helps you to identify Indian meal moth is they have this broad grey band across the forewing. And the rest of the wing is a, is a bronzy brown colour. Um, in certain lights, uh, in certain circumstances, that band can appear to be a, a powdery blue in colour as well. Um, but we've got to note this isn't always reliable because that coloured band is formed of scales on tiny little scales on the wings. And over a period of time, those scales can fall off and so that band can disappear. And again, you come back to accurate ID is the, is the key thing here. So again, get those samples in to our entomologists. Um, an entomologist looking at this insect or any insect would start looking at things like uh, wing venetian, head appendages and really minute detail that they need high powered microscopes to look at. And the subtle differences can identify different moths. Um, one of the key stages people will see is, is, is the larvae. That's the one that's causing the damage, if you like. And they are generally 25 to 30 mil in length. And that obviously depends on what stage they're at in their development. Um, again, color is not always a good guide here. Don't trust color when trying to identify larval stages because in the case of the Indian moth, that can vary from creamy yellow through to a pinkish color and uh, with a very dark head. Um, one little piece of advice here really when identifying moth larvae from fly larvae, for example, is that moth larvae will also have three pairs of legs. An Indian meal moth larvae um, display this feature. They also have four, sorry, five pairs of pro legs towards the rear of their body. And therefore they, that enables them to move considerable distances when they're pupating or looking for places to pupate. So they will migrate considerable distances from their breeding site to dry areas to pupate and go through that transformation into the adult moth. And as we'll see with the story that we're gonna to come to shortly, they will also climb and they can climb walls quite easily to find those dry locations. Um, okay, so you have alluded to the importance of breeding and breeding sites then. So let's touch a little bit on that. How quickly will they breed? Um, as with all insects, Luke, uh, their development times for each stage is very dependent on things like temperature, humidity, moisture content, and of course the quality and the quantity of the, quantity of the food source. Um, but if we look at sort of ideal sort of uh, conditions, then two to, two to eight days um, for the egg to, to hatch and the whole life cycle to start. Um, then really it's down to the quality of the food source. So if they've got a really good food source, the larval stage can be as quick as 13 days. But if it's a poor quality, then you're looking at almost um, two thirds of a year, you know, 288 days. So there's great variation in the larval stage and the speed of development. Once they've gone through the pupil stage, then you're looking at spending maybe between seven and 43 days, typically as an adult moth. And of course, in that time they breed and the whole cycle starts again. Um, female moth is typically gonna lay between 150 and 200 eggs. Um, but again, in ideal conditions, she could possibly produce as many as 500. And of course, what this means is the infestations that start with one or two moths and a low number of moths can suddenly get out of control very, very quickly where you've got those ideal conditions. So you've talked about how fast they can breed then. 
in regards to where do they breed? Where would they uh, go about doing that? Yeah, well, as I've already mentioned, they're classified as that group of insects called stored product insects. And they get that classification because the larval stage needs uh, to breed in certain types of material. And in this case, it's food commodities that could be stored in small quantities in a domestic kitchen. So that could be something like a packet of um, porridge oats, for example, or in large distribution at manufacturing warehouses, perhaps mm. people that are buying in dried store products and producing sort of health food mixes in packets and that sort of thing. And there you've got big breeding sites. Uh, in the case of the Indian meal moth, they tend to infest cereal products. So porridge oats, breakfast cereals, etc. Uh, oil seeds, cocoa beans, dried fruits and nuts. So, you know, lots of different commodities that they, they can breed on. Um, and therefore, you've got a, a vast array of different areas in, in buildings where they could possibly be breeding. But the key here is to bear in mind that that breeding site might just be very, very small. And that very small breeding site can lead to a large infestation. So it's absolute detail. And, and that need to investigate that situation thoroughly. So once a pest controller has identified the species, they've located the breeding site, what is the necessary treatment they should undertake? Well, the first thing, and this probably needs some engagement with the customer, is to remove that breeding site, um, isolate it in extreme cases, of course, that needs to be removed and destroyed. At the end of the day, we're talking about a food commodity and so that food commodity will be tainted and contaminated, not only with live insects, but also with fecal matter and potentially with moths with webbing. Um, so that's the, that's the absolute key is find that breeding site, remove it, break the breeding cycle. But of course, that will leave you with migrating um, larvae, adult moths. So there needs to be some sort of chemical intervention at that stage also to remove those life stages. Um, choice of chemicals is varied. Um, so that can be anything from a residual insecticide spray. And again, as I say, there are, there are many different chemicals available there. Through to using fogging, large scale fogging, ULV fogging, etc., for those bigger buildings, such as warehousing. But chemical treatment alone is not going to solve these problems. Um, okay, let's get to the real life experience then. What happened on an occasion when you came into well, uh, uh, occurrence with an Indian male moth? As, as you said, uh, the, the general heading of this, this tale is uh, Tales of the Unexpected. Uh, and this was a slightly amusing story um, that occurred many years ago when I was, uh, I think I was a sales manager at the time. And uh, a call out came in to the office from a very irate customer. Um, and what this story illustrates is you can you can have all the technical knowledge in the world and the textbooks can teach you that technical knowledge. But just sometimes we're dealing with nature and nature throws up these um, these unexpected situations. Um, it was clear from the phone call that I was listening to that this was a, a very irate customer. This was a an infestation that had been going on for several weeks. Um, and so I decided to sort of grasp the bull by the horns and actually go and see this guy. Um, and it turns out this was a very large multi-occupancy uh, university student accommodation block. Um, it's over five floors. And as I've already said, this infestation had been going on for some time within this female student's room. 
And these rooms are standard. They're sort of 10 foot by 10 foot, 12 foot by 12 foot, uh, bed, desk, wardrobe, chest of drawers. Um, and every 10 rooms, there was a, a, a kitchenette where they were preparing food. What had happened was this student had got so fed up with inverted commas maggots climbing the walls of her room, uh, being knocked down by chemical treatments, that she complained to her father and her father had walked in, um, taken her over the road to a very well-known expensive um, hotel and told the site manager that he was picking up the bill for the hotel until the problem was solved. So wow. that, that, was the, that was the start of the tale. It's quite a power play. Um, yeah, and then you can understand why the guy was somewhat concerned. Um, so we went to the room, we, we started to have a good look around, and it was very clear yeah, that there were several uh, larvae climbing the walls. Um, but it was also quite clear that this was not a maggot problem. Um, and they were obviously thinking it was flies from this point of view, because quick look under a magnifying glass and you can see the legs on the larvae. So clearly at this stage, the first uh, detection bit, if you like, is, okay, we're dealing with moth or we're dealing with a beetle. Um, and there it is very much a bit of educated guesswork, a phone call to an entomologist, because it is difficult to tell the exact species from the larvae. Um, but the, these larvae were, they had that sort of pink tinge with a dark brown head. And I was pretty confident we were dealing with Indian meal moth. The entomologist, yeah, kind of agreed with me, but wasn't going to be committing to it. Um, and so we went off on, on a general search looking for a breeding site that was based around store products. We've already said, you know, cereal products, um, fruit and nuts. So I was, I was looking for a food-based breeding site. Now, one of the rules of this, this site was no food in the rooms. Hmm. Uh, and uh, the site manager was somewhat reluctant to let me do that detailed investigation. Adamant there's no food in the rooms, et cetera, et cetera. And he took a bit of convincing that, you know, the nearest kitchen is five rooms away. It's got to be in this room because none of the other rooms in between are being affected by this problem. So this is a localized breeding site. It's in this room. This student has to have some sort of food in her room. And after a little bit of persuasion and developing the conversation, he reluctantly agreed to go and get the, the maintenance manager. And between us, we started to take this room apart. So start with the wardrobe, nothing in there. Start with the big chest of drawers, no food in any, any of those drawers. And we were slowly taking all the furniture off the walls. Um, nothing sort of tucked down behind the bed. Nothing's fallen behind the bed. And you're slowly starting to scratch your head a little bit more and more. And we got to the point where the only thing that was left was a small bedside cabinet with a couple of drawers in it, solid back to it. And again, you've guessed it, no food source. However, what we did observe was a piece of string pinned inside to the underside of the top of this chest of drawers. But that string was actually attached, or there was nothing attached to it the other end. Um, so out comes the screwdriver, off comes the chest of drawers. And then we get the really surprising bit because we're looking for food source and what we find on the floor behind it is a small plastic bag <laughs> uh, that, well, let's describe it as a plant extract. Um, now, I don't know about you, but I'm no expert on drugs, but I'm fairly confident it was somebody's marijuana supply. 
And you've guessed it, it was absolutely riddled with both the larval and the adult stages of Indian meal moth. And this wasn't a big bag, this was a fairly small breeding site, but it was giving rise to this succession of larvae moving away to pupate. Um, it took a few seconds for the site manager's realization to sink in. And then he, he produced a very big smile because he suddenly realized that he'd just got out of having to pay the hotel bill. <laughs> I think because we all, we all assumed at the time that it was this young student's um, supply. I think looking at it with hindsight many, many years on, and given that this was late October, I think actually she was probably the victim of the previous occupant hmm. who'd left their drug supply behind. Smoked a bit too much and forgot where they put it, probably. I think that might be the case. That <laughs> might be the case. Although, of course, it might explain um, why the, the, uh, the larvae were climbing the walls. <laughs> Dave, thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. We should uh, we should do this again sometime. I think I can find some more stories for you, Luke. Absolutely. If I could just uh, recommend other people to listen to some previous episodes, they're quite sandboxed, so usually the technical knowledge uh, translates between them. Uh, my personal favourites are the Signal episode, that's really good, and the Forehead Flies case study episode, Tim. Do you know what's linking those two episodes? Probably me, but then I'm only your <laughs> fifth favourite ASM. <laughs> Uh, fantastic. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. No problem at all, Luke. Anytime. The code you'll need to have your listenership registered for this episode is Foxtrot Romeo Oscar Golf. No prizes handed out for those that have guessed the cryptic theme linking these codes. Till next time, goodbye.